finally a win. After losing the last three straight Premiership games, Self finally showed enough nows to ground out a narrow 18-15 win over Northampton Saints on Saturday evening, securing four invaluable points to stop their recent slide down the table. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank, and I'm joined as always by my good friend Alex. Alex, how are you doing? Very good, thank you mate, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. You might, and you might be wondering why there was no introduction for, for our, uh, our brother-in-arms, James. Unfortunately, once again I'm remiss to say that tonight we're missing the presence of, of our globetrotter extraordinaire, because uh, James is currently in uh, Doha, Qatar, of all places. He's uh, He announced on Sunday night that he's uh, he's having to jet, jet off for a couple of days, leaving us... Uh, uh, us mere mortals. The rest. Yes, abs- absolutely, yes. absolutely. So let's uh, let's just jump straight into it. I mean, it, it feels so refreshing to be sat here discussing sales weekly news, and we've got a win to talk about. I mean, what, what were your sort of instant thoughts coming coming off uh, coming off Saturday night's result? Well, I spent the last ten minutes of the game. I I took my friends, who's a Falcons fan, to the game for the first time. Um, and I spent the last 10 minutes going, we're going to lose this. And I know we're going to lose this. And not only do I know we're going to lose it, I also know how we're going to lose it. We're going to give away a five meter penalty. They're going to kick to the five meter and they're going to maul over, probably get a penalty try and we'll get a yellow card. So for us to then kick to, them to kick to the corner, get a five meter line out, us to drive that back with some serious force and then hold out, I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. It was... Um, it it was just very unlike Sale um, to to hold out in the end. So I'm I'm relatively positive, despite spending the whole game being incredibly negative. Yeah, I think that would be my overarching feelings. It was a it was a very very nervous last five minutes, wasn't it? Just I I mean I I agree completely. It was the case of you know Sale up by you know a score with a few minutes left, and it was all Northampton for that last sort of ten fifteen minutes, and and. You know, going back to Newcastle game and Exeter game and all the other games we've seen where Sale just sort of capitulates at the end, you just you were just expecting Sale to to sort of um, fluster it. I was I was thinking actually whilst I was in, I was in the stands watching the game, and I saw Northampton have the option to sort of kick for the corner or kick, take a kick at goal because it's you know that 79 minutes they have the option they could take the three and um, kick uh, kick and get a draw and leave with two points or they went for the corner, and on the one hand. I thought it was a real. I was I was impressed by their ambition. This idea that two points isn't good enough. We know Northampton have been struggling a bit, like Sale, and that you know they really needed to eke out this win, and it, it was a game that they had the opportunity to. And I was impressed that they had the the goal almost to to try and go for the win at the end. But at the same time, I was thinking this might be a let off for Sale because it's such. Uh, such a high risk high reward sort of situation and literally anything can happen Mikey Haywood can overthrow the ball at the line out so could get a hand up and steal the ball they could knock on which eventually they do uh, and all of those outcomes uh, hand sale the game and I thought Sale were very lucky that Northampton because they're in a similar sort of slide were so desperate for a win that they went, in, uh, that, they went for that option at the end and, and ultimately um, couldn't, couldn't grind out the try to, to give them the win Alex, were you surprised by Northampton's decision in that those last last minutes, or do you think, uh, or do you think, um, no, 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 yeah, that, that's it. Are, are you surprised? Do you think it was the the, the right decision? Um, I I was sort of surprised, but I get why they did it because it was a game on the road. They already had one point in the bag. The best they were going to get, you know, it's like, do you go do you go for an extra point in tough conditions? 
um, or and you know a draw is no good for anyone. And I think they were probably quite frustrated as well. And that sort of maybe there's a little bit of inexperience out there without Hartley and Laws. Maybe they would you know have have influenced that decision a bit more. Um, it was a very sale thing to do, I think, to kick it to the corner, try and drive it over and fail. Um, not that I'm, you know, down on sale, but it was it was a surprising decision. Yeah, it was surprising, I think. I, I was very glad that they did so, but, yeah, I think maybe there's a little bit of an experience out there, a bit of, you know, it's good to see that ambition, and I, I get why they did it. If, if you've already got one point, which they did, and we weren't massively, you know, we had one threatening moment where we looked like we might pull more than seven points clear, which was that Marlin Yard run down the wing. But other than that, it was... I would have probably done the same because I'm knowing what our mall defence has been like. If they've done their prep, they've, they've looked at our mall defence and gone, yeah, we can we can have these boys. Um, so, actually, I think a lot of credit has to go to our forwards for not allowing them to you know, push over. It's it's the first time all season that we've really looked strong in a defensive mall, so what a time to do it. Absolutely, and every week we ask you, the very attractive listener, to send in your three-word reviews uh, and give you, share your thoughts with us uh, on the game of the week proceeding. And, and a lot of these reviews uh, share uh, the sort of common themes that we've already touched upon um, in, in the sort of early early moments of this podcast. Um, Jack Worthy, tough last minutes. Paul Alexander Burt, uh, charge down culprits, uh, which we'll get onto in a second. Nick Fogarty, no nails left. Uh, James, not good enough. Which I thought was a little bit unfair, given that you know Sale managed to pull out a win. But it's a win. But yeah, it, for the first seventy nine minutes, it wasn't good enough. No, no. Uh, Paul Barnes, De Klerk can't pass. Uh, Gilly on the... as well. We'll get onto that in a minute. Yeah, I think. we'll get onto that. We'll come back to that. <laughs> Gilly on the town, tough, gritty, great, uh, and Kieran Critchard, uh, gutsy, resilient win. A lot of this, this theme was sort of like grinding out to win, and and I think for me personally, what I was most impressed at, most impressed with, was just seeing Sale, you know, uh, perhaps perhaps get, you know let off a little bit by Northampton but being able to sort of grind out a win and play in tough conditions you know and, and get the four points because I think you know even even four or five weeks ago against a team like Exeter this was a game we lost it was the exact same game you know ball wasn't really going to hand it was tough to get a lot of attacking uh, momentum going and in the final moments um, you know Sale did just enough to get a win which is something they haven't been able to do against uh, weren't able to do against Newcastle and Exeter. Uh, let, let's circle back to Fafter Clerk then and, and, and the charge downs because I'm very glad James isn't here this week because I'm going to pay tribute to Will Cliff, who I don't think by any means was was the sort of heroic game manager that that perhaps we we still lack. But I thought he did a damn sight better than Fafter Clerk, who in the first half scored 10 points and uh, conceded uh, conceded 12 he was De Klerk was so erratic with his passing um, perhaps because he's, he, perhaps because of the conditions which he's so unused to I don't know um, but I thought De Klerk had a, a very up and down game and he looked just as as likely to win sale the game in that second half as he was to lose it because from where I was looking at I thought taking De Klerk off for Cliff was the bit, this bit of savvy game management just to calm the game down, 
not try uh, and shoot for the moon with every sort of attacking play. That was exactly the sort of thing Sale needed to grind to grind out a win. I mean, do, do you agree? Do you think this is you know one we can chalk up to sort of a, you know the best and the worst of after clerks that you that you're going to get in this sort of game? Yeah, I think a lot of credit has to go to whoever made that call, and I'm assuming it wasn't Steve Diamond, given he wasn't in the stadium. So if it was Paul Deacon, massive credit, um, or whoever it was, to bring De Klerk off, because it's something we've struggled to do this season, because he is such a good player. And I've got a theory with Faf Klerk. The colour of his hair will determine how successful he's going to be, because if it's really, really wet and horrible, his hair goes like quite dark, have you noticed? Yes, yeah. And therefore... Yeah. At that point, get him off the field. Whereas, if his hair is brilliant blonde reflecting the sunlight, get, keep him on for 80 minutes because he's going to be absolutely incredible. So that is how to judge Factor Clerk from now on. But in all seriousness, it was the kind of, as soon as you saw the weather, I mean, I was in the um, the Sharky, which has been re- renamed, have you noticed? I think we finally got the exclusive rights to the shark tank i did i did notice that and i and i must admit i think it's i think it's quite quite a good name the the, the sharky um but yeah this is definitely a victory for the shark tank podcast who who yeah. i want to point out uh, whether it was the blog or the podcast we had that name three years before <laughs> they named that tent um the the, the shark tank so uh, i think this is uh, this is definitely a win for for the humble fan but anyway sorry continue alex <laughs> So anyway, I was in there and you could hear the rain coming down and it was just one of those where you knew it was going to be a horrible Newcastle-esque, Exeter-esque, tough game. And I think what what we didn't do um, in the first 20 minutes was play in the right areas. And part of that was because Faf got charged down a couple of times. I mean, that's not 100% Faf's fault. He needs There needs to be a bit more protection from the forwards at that point. And but, that is his responsibility. But yeah, I was going to say, is it not the clerk's job to marshal the forwards and say, look, I don't have anyone on my left-hand side. You know, Josh Strauss, get over there and, and block uh, block the Northampton players from coming through. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. So it was, it was frustrating, but I don't think it sort of... It wasn't the reason we were down by that much. The reason we were down by that much is because we just didn't have the personnel on the field in key positions, 9 and 10. Who played the sort of game where, where that you know, for those weather conditions? So what we had was Fafclerk and James O'Connor, who were brilliant attacking players, and showed that at times during the game. But what we needed was probably Will Cliff and AJ McGinty to get us into their twenty-two, keep them down there because they didn't really, they didn't actually put that much pressure on us through the game. No, and we just needed to stay in their half. You know, keep them under pressure, give them the ball, get it high, make them catch under pressure. It's a wet, slippy ball. The more you play with it, the more you're going to drop it. And I think we saw that on the night. There was no, you know, it was that, it was that kind of game. So it's a bit of game management. And I think in those scenarios, Faf hasn't played in it a lot. He's played in Super Rugby. You don't really get that weather. Will Cliff has probably got more experience. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up game management because there's an instance I want to talk about, which I think highlights the flaw that Sale have with their, the sort of current first team 23. So like you said, the Clerk and O'Connor, probably not the sort of game for them. Um, but there was one instance, and it was just after Sale, Sale had just taken the lead, I think. It's, it's midway through the second half. And it's 18-15 for Sale, and it, there's a Northampton line-out in their own half. And they overthrow the line-out, and Sale recover the ball. And from here, Sale, you know, they go through the phases, a couple of incremental sort of gains, uh, etc., um, but we are moving forward. There's been momentum, 
and then de Klerk for absolutely no reason I, I believe it's de Klerk he kicks the ball away and what he does is he does a high sort of box kick it's an up and under and it's over the uh, over into the opposition's um, dead ball area the idea is to have Solomon chase it, and if he catches it, Solomon literally has to fall down, and it's a try. Did, did, can you remember the instance? I'm yeah, about? I remember. it was the, the the one we've scored off a couple of times with McGuigan and Solomon. Yes, that the one? The yeah. little chip over the rook. Yeah, yeah. So the clerk does that, even though they're starting to sort of you know slowly break down the Northampton line. But the problem is, so he makes the kick. The Northampton players catch it, and they ground the ball, and it's a twenty-two dropout. And from there, Northampton kick the dropout. So they'll have a couple of phases on the halfway line and knock the ball on. From the resulting scrum to Northampton, Northampton go through the phases, so they'll give away a penalty, uh, and then Northampton kick the three points to take it back to 15-15. Sorry, that was it, yeah, so they were 15-12 all. I was going to uh, say, because Cliff came on to kick the goal, but took yes, a 15-15, yeah. so... Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, so Sell had just taken the lead, we have the ball in their 22, we're going forward, and De Klerk kicks the ball away for no reason, and from the resulting two or three fe- uh, sets of play, Northampton score to tie the game. And I thought it, that moment for me, encapsulated the entire problem that Sale have at the moment, is that they just don't seem to know how to manage the game. Because in that situation, I think Northampton were a man down as well, still at this point. That not being, that not saying much really, given that they had about three in the bin. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a whole game, wasn't it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. But for me, I just I just thought, like, it's those moments where I understand what the clerk's doing, he's going for that high-risk, high-reward play, but it's just so unnecessary. And, and you know, uh, a slightly, you know, lower tempo player would have saw that we were making ground, just kept going through the phases and moved the ball wide and, and, and gone from there. And I think that that was the problem. And it was it was moments like that that nearly cost Sale the game. Full credit for Sale for being able to pull out the win uh, eventually. Um, but it was almost in spite of themselves because uh, in the last sort of 20 minutes, all we wanted to do was kick the ball away and not manage the game properly, even with Will Cliff on. Although I do think he did a little bit better than De Klerk. But perhaps he shouldn't focus on the negatives I'm sure there's there's a lot of positives you want to talk about and and uh, I mean I'm going to start you off how about Ben Curry how about Marlon oh, Yard you know immense Ben Curry is it's it's a travesty that he's not being mentioned in the England squad like his brother is who oh we should point out as well I'm not sure how many people know this but Tom Curry is out until May um and he's March, had surge March March did. I, I didn't know that. I've just <laughs> forgotten that information and tried to recall it. Um, so he has had surgery on his wrist. Um, it's a four to five month recovery time. Um, that's from the horse's mouth. Um, so he won't be back for a while. Luckily, we've got his twin brother who is as good as him. And it, I, as I say, my original point is ridiculous. He's not in the England record. He was awesome. He looked. Um, I think it's been good for him to play in the Anglo-Welsh and as a sort of senior player. And I don't know whether it's given him what it's given him, but it seems, he almost seems more sort of confident and mature and a bit of a bigger presence, having had that experience. You know, he's always been in the team before now as a, a you know, the kid and everyone's, oh, yeah, you're, team, you, you, you're doing well, you're an academy kid. And even when his brother was playing, Tom was always sort of the first choice. So for, I think he's really, I think, Tom being out is a is a real shame for the club, but I think Ben Curry means his performances mean that you know we're not gonna we're not gonna miss Tom Curry the way we might have done in uh, in previous in previous seasons. Absolutely, I, I the, the, there's another three word review here that I forgot to mention. It's from uh, Robin Southern uh, Curry for captain, and 
you made a really good point about the LV uh, the LV Cup because Curry well, obviously he he actually had a stint as captain uh, for that team after Will Addison went off um, uh, in one of the away games and it, like you said it's about this his growing presence within the game and it's something you've, that's definitely become more noticeable actually in in Tom's absence um, little little moment on. Um, on the Curry brothers in the England reckoning, what what do you reckon Eddie Jones's sort of master plan is with that? Because he seems to be giving all the love to, to Tom Curry, and I mean Ben Curry is literally the same player. I like, don't understand how he tells them apart. It makes no sense to me. They look. How can you pick one over the other? They play exactly the same way, and they look identical. So maybe that maybe there is a, a a difference in playing style, and that would be fine. But how on earth he sees it is beyond me. I know, I know. It, it is, uh, it is unbelievable. Um, any, yeah, any, is, sorry, he is, world rugby, he is world rugby coach of the year, so you know, yeah, they, yeah. It, maybe that's that's the kind of thing you need to attain those accolades. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Eddie Jones knows something about those uh, about the twins that we don't. Are there any other performances that particularly start for you? Because I, I, I've got a couple that I'm just going to reel off really quickly. Um, I thought James O'Connor played really well. I thought it was nice to see um, him get a full game at ten. Marshalling the line, orchestrating the the, the sort of um, attacking strategy. Um, first time we've seen it all season, really, because obviously he's been injured, and then last week against Leicester he went off with the HIA. Um, it didn't sort of set the world alight, but I did notice that the, his style of play is so reminiscent of Danny Cipriani's, and Sale just look a better team when we've got that sort of flat play, that sort of player who plays flat to the line um, and sort of distributes well. Because I think the problem with AJ McGinty is, uh, and everyone knows I'm a big AJ McGinty fan, I think the problem with McGinty is that um, he'll go very flat to the line when he's taking it himself, but when he's uh, looking to pass and string a batsman together, he sits a bit too deep in the pocket. So I think that's something McGinty's, you know, has started to sort of work on. But with O'Connor, it just sort of, his style of play seems to fit in so much better um, with the cell back line, you know, straight off the bat. The other thing about O'Connor that I wanted to mention is that no wasteful kicking. You know, uh, something that Sale fans go absolutely nuts over is, you know, De Klerk, Will Cliff, you know, needlessly box kicking. Sam James, very guilty of, you know, occasionally grubbering through for no reason. Even, even you know, Denny Solomona um, is a bit guilty of just lofting one up and, and trying to run around the defence, you, you know, um, for, for with, with no sort of intent and purpose behind it on occasion. But I thought with O'Connor, the one infield kick he did was when he was under pressure and kicked it across his body. Uh, it's a beautiful pinpoint um, crossfield kick that bounced lovely, for, beautifully for Marlon Yard, who was uh, in the corner, who just wasn't able to hold on to it because if he had, he really sort of falls over the line for a try. And I thought that was the really positive thing I saw from O'Connor was that he wasn't looking to just kick the ball away; he was looking to go through the hands or hit the line himself. But when he did kick, it was because he'd seen a very uh, clear attacking opportunity uh, with Sales' uh, um, advantage out wide. And the kick itself was so precise that, uh, like I said, if it had gone to hand and Yard had been able to catch it, Yard falls over for an easy try. So I just wanted to, see, you know, um, put, put, um, make special note of James O'Connor, who I thought was who I thought was uh, uh, very effective at that number ten role for Sale on Saturday. Yeah, I agree, and I think the he was he's a point of difference in our attack that we have lacked since Sipsler, where. There have been times when we really struggled to break down teams. Newcastle is probably a prime example when we we should have done. The only thing I think is that O'Connor sort of contributed to us not playing that game style, and it was quite frustrating that people were, you know, 
getting at the team for kicking the ball away when I think people need to realise that we are a good team but when we get the ball in our 22 we are not going to run through the opposition when the ball is that slippy the last thing I want us to be doing is playing with the ball in our 22 so I understand well I, in fact I encourage us to kick it down the field our problem wasn't that we kicked it was that our kicks were of a really poor quality and that was really noticeable in the first half got a bit better in the second half but in the first half you know people were kicking to the right areas but just not kicking well enough so there was one point where Northampton's 15 was in the middle of the pitch their winger was up and there was a load of space for us to kick into the 5 metre and I think it was Will Cliff who kicked it but instead of bouncing in the 22 it bounced in front like before the 22 and sort of sat there Northampton picked it up and went back at us so you know there's no problem with kicking you've just got to kick well but I still think kicking badly is a preferable alternative to keeping the ball in hand and dropping it, which we did on other occasions. So, But on your point with James O'Connor, I do think I like that he is a massive sort of point of difference and a unique player who you can't predict what he's going to do. And that kick was genuinely a piece of absolute quality in a game of not very much quality. And the other thing he did was the Ben Curry try was all him because you, if you look at if you look at the highlights it's go watch awesome. it back go 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 watch it back I'm just focus on O'Connor because I know exactly what you're going to say go on he just and we, teams do this all the time they they pull pass pulled back behind a runner coming in and every team in the world can read it and Northampton read it on a number of occasions but what happened on our try was that they pulled it back to O'Connor who just drifted outside his man almost like he's a world class thirteen which he is, not a 10. Anyway, he just outside his man. That gave us the numbers. We put it through the hands really well, really good basic skills, just, you know, three on two or whatever it was. Bang, bang, bang. Ben Curry in the corner. And, you know, so the two pieces of probably, uh, maybe two or three pieces of quality in the game, you know, Connor was definitely involved in two of them. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a really positive sign um, going forward. And, and to be honest, I said this, I said this before the game, I think you look at the 23 and I think, you take out Van Rensburg or Addison for McGinty as a replacement on the bench. And I just think that's a really nice mix of yep. uh, players and individual skill sets. Because I think in a game like um, Saturday's, you have O'Connor who has these couple of moments of magic. And like I said, if Borg if, you know, if went to hand, he, he set up two tries basically all by himself. And then that gives Sell a platform. And then in the last 20 minutes, you can bring AJ McGinty on. So every time Northampton get penalised, you can just keep kicking uh, kicking sticks yeah. and add into the lead. And I think what I saw from O'Connor has got me really excited for how Sale can be able can structure their game plans going forward because it's 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 a perfect dynamics, a perfect dichotomy. You've got the um, eclectic sort of. Um, Mercurial talent of O'Connor who can sort of win you a game from anywhere, and then you've got AJ McGinty who will solidify your lead when you've already got it. And I think it's a really nice d- dynamic to have. Any other players that sort of t- uh, the, the, I want to talk about Marlon Yard and Ryan Rensberg in a moment, but before we get onto them, are there any other players or performances that sort of uh, you know caught your eye, good or bad? Um, I think Josh Strauss had a good game. Um, I think he carried well. It was it, it was a game that suited his playing style, but I think he. Um, he he definitely had a had a solid game. Other than that, there wasn't a lot um, to really get you excited. As you say, if we, I mean, let's talk about Marlon Yard. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Who who had a better home debut, Marlon Yard or Johan Ranzer van Rensburg? Oh, Marlon Yard by a mile. Van Rensburg, um, a didn't have the time to make the impact. B is not the sort of conditions that A is used to, or B would probably thrive in. I mean, I know he's a big, powerful ball carrier, but barely anyone on the pitch could catch the thing. So yeah. you know, uh, he did show some really nice hands when he came on. He just didn't have the, you know, it wasn't the he wasn't brought on in time to make a sufficient impact, I think. So I, I thought Marlon Yard, I thought Marlon Yard looked really good. And what pleased me about Marlon Yard, before we talk about his performance, is that when he came off injured, um, you may have noticed this as well, as he was walking around the side of the pitch, he didn't take his eyes off the off the game because it was really, really tight. And I quite like that because I think it's just, you know, it's not like I don't want to be here, I'm just going to walk off. He really, really looked like he was, A, gutted to be going off, and B, really, really invested in the result, which is nice to see from an attitude point of view. That was um, that was my main takeaway from, from Yard, and I said this at, you know, during the game, is that, if nothing else, he looked like he wanted to be involved in everything. And I think in a game like Saturday's, bad conditions, you're not necessarily going to get the ball um, you know, out wide as often as you'd like. It becomes even more important that your wingers and your fullbacks try and get involved in the game in any way possible. And Jan did that. You know, um, there was one, there was one play where he sort of, you know, sell run run the switch, and it's nothing special. But they had Yard as as the sort of second dummy runner, uh, and he takes the ball and he, I mean, he runs twenty five meters, you know, sideways. It doesn't really make any uh, any ground uh, any yards, but it was just. Pleasing to see him, you know, want the ball and, and coming in and, and playing in the midfield so he can get the ball and try and do something with it. And every time he has the ball, you know, he's uh, the way he runs, the sort of jinking, sort of hip movements. He's he's making himself very difficult to sort of um, to sort of bring down, and you sort of see him cutting inside and going outside. And that was really exciting to see. Obviously, um, there was a disallowed try, um, which was pulled back for crossing, where he sort of jinks through the Northampton defence and slides over, but. You know, you look at his field position in, in in that instance, and he's you know he's twenty meters away from the touchline, so he's got it again in that sort of uh, outside midfield channel, and then look to sort of cut inside and then come back outside. And, and look, I don't want to be too harsh on Denny Solomon because I, I just said you know the game is is not one suited for the wingers, but I did notice that Solomon did not have a lot of the ball, and whether it was by design or because you know he he wasn't you know prepared to get himself in those positions I don't know um Solomona was completely out of the game and he has been for the last couple of games just because he's been stuck out on the touchline and I think you compare his performance to Yard who who sell using to sort of chase down restarts who are using as sort of a dummy 13 you know who are looking to sort of kick the ball to I think it was just quite interesting that Yard out of the two um seemed a lot more involved even though they were both Sort of struggling to get possession, and I, I, I've been very impressed by Marlon Yard in his first two in his first two games. Um, do you have, Do you have anything to add on that? Uh, no, I just echo that. I think he's he's definitely come in, and it's quite exciting as a fan because you sort of feel when he gets the ball, there's a bit of that buzz around the ground, and it's the same. You know, I mean, you get it with Denny as well. And Absolutely, yeah. Denny's not on, quite on the hot streak of form that he has been during his career at Sale, but he's still a quality player and still someone who can get the ball. And we're sort of getting this team where Sale for a long time had a quality team, but you did feel that we relied on Cipriani for three years to create our tries. And now you've got Yard, Solomona, Addison when he's fit, O'Connor, Declerc. They were all gonna, and 
Sam James as well. Let's let yeah, I mean, yeah. he had a quiet game, but but Sam James is the sort of five tool player that can make a try out of any anything, whether it be his hands or his, his feet or his carrying. Yeah, exactly. And we get I mean we gave Saf a bit of stick before, but let's not forget that without him scoring that try, which and I don't think many other people could have scored that try and we you know it's probably the safest way to score a try in that kind of game. Pick it up from the base of the scrum and run over the line with it. But you know, Without that try, the game has got a completely different complexion, um, and that was just before half time, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah. And we really needed that at that point. So for him we- to score that was really, really important. And I think that's what you know. That's my to come back to my broader point. I'll, it's really exciting to have those players that make a difference, and it also, you know, get, makes it exciting for the crowd. And you can feel that around the stadium when Yard gets the ball. And I think it'll probably happen with Van Rensburg when he gets a, a bit of dry weather and b a bit of proper game time. I'm really looking forward to when um, we'll be playing at home and there's a little pop pass to Van Rensburg and he's got about five metres before he hits the defensive line and you start to get that sort of buzz of anticipation when you see this, you know, for, for lack of a better term, brick shithouse just <laughs> running with the ball and, and, and hitting the defensive line, which we didn't really see. Um, every time he had the ball, he was looking to pass, which is, is quite encouraging as well. Um but yeah, just just on Solomon, just so I'm not appearing too harsh, he did have a very, very good moment. Um, and it might have gone amiss in, in sort of the highlights and stuff. But basically, we, we shipped the ball wide and Solomon has a one-on-one with, um, I think it might have been Ben Foden, actually. Uh, and Solomon just steps into the outside and absolutely does him. And he gets yeah. around the man and then kicks over the top when, when the fullback comes to cover. And it's just, you know, it, it ultimately doesn't come off. But, you know, you're talking about all these players who can win sale a game and you just saw you know, O'Connor with his kick Solomona with his step O'Connor's step De Klerk's uh, individual try Yard Jenkins through the defence there was Sale were unlucky not to score a few more tries on, on, on Saturday and given how you know poor the conditions were it's really encouraging that you know if, if, if one ball goes to hand or a bounce goes the right way Sale could easily have scored four tries and I think uh, I think if nothing else it's very exciting that, that Sale Sales attack anyway seems to start started to have come to life at the same time as the defence has, which obviously resulted in in the win. Absolutely, and with, with all that said, we've still got. I'm not sure whether he is still the Premiership's top try scorer, but certainly Sales form player of the season, Byron McGuigan's come back into the fold. So it only gets better, really. It's an, and let's not forget as well. I mean, obviously is. He's, he's been out for for a while, but you've still got Paulo Adogu to, to to come back yes. in. And I, as as everyone knows, I'm very very high on a dog. I think there's a there's there's something Jason there's something Jason Robertson Christian Wade about him that I really like, um, and I just think that that's another player that you know, chuck into the fold, and you know it's an embarrassment of riches. You know who who needs Josh Charlie? <laughs> well, that's a whole other conversation, and probably a genuine question that sales management are asking themselves and Josh Charnley. Um so that is is that being sorted by the end of November? Do I see that somewhere? He's going to make a decision within the next few weeks. No idea. I think. Um, no idea. I've, you know, I think there's there's a lot of speculation, as as there always seems to be with crosscut players. There's always because yeah. I think it's just it's such a obvious career move that mm. if uh, any rugby league player doesn't immediately take the game by storm, a la, a la Solomona, there's always the rumor that you you know sort of lurking under the surface. Oh, they might go back to league. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, should we do some bumper stats? Let's, let's, and let's. I'm enjoying the new bumper opta stats segment. Yeah, thank the, you. Every, pod, but, every every week on every week on the Short Time Podcast. Every week, yes. Yeah, so um, stats courtesy of Opta. Thanks very much to them. 
yet again. Um, best stat this week, territory, 59%. That is madness. That's the first time we've had majority of territory at home, uh, in the Prem at all, since London Irish. Um, and possession, for once, we had the majority, 53%. So, um, trending upwards, trending upwards. Trending upwards, absolutely. So we sort of dominated a game that we didn't really seem to dominate, but... Um, other good stats, 90% tackle completion this week, um, which was pretty good. We didn't actually make that many, only 86 um, in the game. Northampton absolutely chucked their bodies out as they made 133. And in the sort of weekly top tacklers, you know, usually it's all sale, 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 sale. And um, this week it was just Northampton, Northampton, Northampton. <laughs> ben Curry, Northampton, Northampton. Um, I'll get on to him later. Um 119 carries, 349 metres. Marlon Yard, 98 metres. By far, biggest carrier in the game. Um, I think Wood was next with uh, 62. Um, James O'Connor, who we were talking about before. This is all tying in quite nicely. Mm. Um, 14 carries for 35 metres. Five defenders beaten. Um, So, a pretty good attacking game from him. Uh, 10 pens conceded this week. Which, At least it's down on last week. It's down on last week. Yeah, we've nearly halved, but that wasn't that difficult. Um, I mean, probably put into context by the fact Northampton conceded 12 and had three yellow cards. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was we were on the right side of the decisions this week rather than the 18-5 split of last week. Um, the massive start, 15 turnovers conceded, um, which is just poor, really. Five drop balls, which is expected. Um and we conceded six of those turnovers when sort of in that our half to their 22 um, area when we were on the attack, which is pretty frustrating. The rest were spread virtually evenly. But just, you know, it's it's those areas where we needed probably to be a bit more accurate, keep the pressure on. Or if it's not going well, stick the ball in the corner and uh, get them on their own five-metre line. Um Northampton kicked 41% of the possession away, the boring, boring team that they are. Um, it's like England 2003 all over again. Um, we only kicked 24%, so to all those people doing the uh, up and unders, you know, careful what you wish for. I want to say, sorry, just, just to intervene, I want to say that is an absolutely fascinating stat, like the percentage of plays that say I'll kick the ball away on. Mm. And that's, that's only been possible by because of our new friends at Opta. So a big thank you once again to Indeed. them. Because it's that sort of thing that the, the sort of casual fan, which you and I very much are, you just don't get access to normally. And it's, and it's you know, when you put it in perspective, you realise, oh, hang on a second. As frustrating as watching De Klerk and Cliff box kick, maybe it's actually less than, than every other team does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, it does sort of give us some reality, but it's also an absolute treasure trove, these stats. I mean, as someone who likes numbers, it's been, you know, amazing, I would say, the last few weeks, because it's just everything. I can tell you how many Josh Strauss carries ended in dominant uh, tackles by him. Can, can, uh, you define, can you define what a dominant tackle is? Is that included in the stats? That isn't included in the stats, so don't ask me that. <laughs> no, I can't. I assume. He, I mean, he like you know went over a lot of people, so I don't know how it sort of is all is all listed. But I feel like I have to get that stat now. Um, so, Josh Strauss's carries, which ended in dominant tackles. Here we go. Five, five of his uh, seven total carries. Okay. Done, Josh. Anyway. 
On more on Josh Strauss, 11 carries, 39 metres, 9 tackles, 1 turnover, 1. Um, he was going to be my player of the week until I saw Ben Curry's stats. So, shall we go into those? Um, please, please do, please do. We talk, so, we talked about Ben Curry already. So, to back it up, 13 tackles, 0 missed. As I said, our best tackler by a long way. Um, one try, obviously. No turnovers conceded this week. Um Seven carries for 31 metres, which for, you forget that he's a number seven, don't you? Yeah. And he just plays like a back. And I think we've said on this podcast before, they play like the Kiwis, the Curry boys. The level of skill they have for their position. Um, and it's just awesome to see. Um, and I think the biggest thing from this week in terms of Ben Curry was in the last few weeks... He's had really, really good performances, but I think one of the only areas where you could say he's had a weakness is his penalties that he gives away. He's yeah, got yeah. side reps quite a few times. Um, we gave away 10 penalties in this game. Ben Curry gave away one, and I should qualify that by saying the one was the obstruction. So it's not really his fault, but defensive penalties, none for Ben Curry. So that is really, really good to see because I think it's sort of, it's something that you would expect to, you know, he's, is he 19? 19, uh, that, 19. And just to me how young they are. Um, yeah, so, you know, you expect him not to be quite as, you know, aware of referees. As, and that that only comes with experience, but it's good to see him sort of building on that and getting getting better at that. Um, hey, quick, quick, quick question for you. Go on. How many years before we have Ben and Tom Curry as sale co-captains? Because, oh. I mean, the way the winds are blowing... Yeah, it's, it's going to happen at some point. It's just how soon. It's a bit like Mauro Toji at, at Saracens. It's like you, you know he's going to be a future captain, probably a future England captain in Toji's case. But how, how how many years? How many seasons before Ben and Tom are, are, are co-captain in Sale? Well, see, I think it's probably. I, I don't want this, but I think it's going to happen next season because we're going to get too excited. And we did this with James Gaskell. We got too excited. He was nineteen. We made him captain, and then it just didn't work. So we need to not do it, but we probably will do it sooner than I would like. So I would say, if I was a betting man, um, I'd, I'd put some money on next season because I could see it happening. Okay. Have you got Have you got a suspicion to make some long term bets? Well, I think I think I mean Addison. I mean, is Addison still captain? Because he's played a few games, and, and John O'Ross has had the captaincy. I don't know. Uh, on that, um, Sell actually had, and I don't know if this came up in the Optus start, Sell actually had four captains uh, on in Saturday's game. Uh, John O'Ross, then he went off with uh, with a concussion, which meant Cam Newell came on. So then I believe the captaincy went to, I think it went to De Klerk, and then De Klerk went off, so it was Bryn Evans, and then Bryn Evans had to go off for uh, HIA, so it was Josh Strauss, so we actually had four captains on Saturday. I might be wrong on De Klerk, it might have been somebody else, but I do know the other three, the four with Strauss, Evans and, and Ross, you know, all all that are as captain, which is, which is you know, fascinating to see, especially since, you know, three out of the four only joined in the summer. So, yeah, very interesting. And on that, of those, of those players, virtually all, so we are a pack of eight, um, the 6-2 bench split may have died this week, thank God for it, but the reluctance of our coaches to use our forward bench has not died with it unfortunately because six of our forwards pretty much played 80 minutes Bryn Evans played 78 John Ross had to come off because of an HIA I think or yeah. injury so you know 
the only real um, addition was Alika for Will Griff John. Uh, I think Neil got Neil obviously got uh, many fifty odd minutes yeah. on the back of Ross's injury, and George Knott came on for all of two. Um, but it's just another week of absolutely hammering our forwards to the point of exhaustion. Um, of course, which is slightly frustrating, but you know there you are. But yeah, it is, it is interesting to see the impact some of those players have made on the club. I'm particularly surprised by John Ross is clearly a pretty influential figure, and I think you got the you got the sense at the barbecue this summer um, that you know he was he was very well liked by the coaching staff. He was the guy they were all sort of chatting with and stuff. So um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's he, he does seem like a leader. I think. He's getting a lot of plaudits from outside sale, isn't he? Um, David Flatman described him as probably the signing of the season uh, last week on Channel Five highlights. So, I, mean, I think, I think that's, a, that's quite a bold claim to make. I, I think, think, I think Ross. Yeah, I think Ross has had a, a fine start to the season, and he's Solid. he's, he's chucked Solid. himself around, and you know he's, he's clearly having a good off the field impact. Don't know whether or not he's been the signing of the season, but mm. I, I don't know. Um, and just to sort of wrap it up um, Rohan Yancey van Rensburg whose name I will one day pronounce properly I think you've got that uh, right oh, thanks mate I tried my best um, he made three out of four tackles and two carries per seven metres barely had any time to make an impact on the game but you know I, I, I don't think the stats are going to give him the best sort of view because he was in the really bitty part of the game but good to see him there as we said, Yard topped me to make a 98. Um, and Rob Webber had 15 carries. James O'Connor, 14. Top two carries in the game. So, I mean, stats-wise. Oh, I forgot this. The most important one. Save the best till last. Line out. 13 out of 13. Immense. Is that the first time this season we've gone 100%? Um, it may well be. Bear with me and I can find out. Let's have a look. Uh, I'm anxiously opening a bunch of spreadsheets now. To... Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, quick season review, season review. It's not the first time this season we've gone 100%, but it is by far and away the most line-outs we've had. I mean, every time we've gone 100% since then has been 6, 6, 7, and 6. So um, 13 line-outs, none lost. And I think we managed to steal a couple of theirs because they lost three line-outs as well. So, uh, there you go. You know, we, we, we complain about the club. They fix it. So by next season, we'll be Premiership champions probably. As long as we get the, the credit we deserve, that's that's the important thing. You would hope so. <laughs> I'm really disappointed, actually, that you ended on the line-up stats because there's no good way to segue into what, what we're going to talk about next. Because you're well, talking about players, you're talking about players making an impact, and I thought that's that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. But, Here we go. I'll, you... I'll save it, mate. Speaking of players who people may be getting the credit they deserve. One person who got the credit they deserved this week with the Man of the Match award in the Scotland-Australia game was Sale's very own Byron McGregor. Lewis, uh, over to you. That was that, that, that was very good. It's, it's, it's like working with a professional uh, broadcaster. I'd, I have been offered work for the BBC on the sort of BBC Two one show to another slot, but I've had to turn it down in favour of this podcast. Okay, well, it's, it's nice to see where, you, where your loyalty is like anyway. <laughs> but yes, Byron McGregor, what... What a start to his Scottish international career. Obviously, you know, this wasn't his first game. He had his first cap against New Zealand um, uh, the week previous. Didn't really have, make that much of an impact. Came on as a, a sort of a bit like Van Rensburg, a bit too late to, um, to, to do much and impact the game. But 
this week gets the start because Stuart Hogg uh, was brought up with injury. Maitland goes to 15 and Wigan comes in off the bench. And I mean, you, you couldn't have had a, a better start, could you? And, you know, a, a two try performance, man of the match, an absolute hammering of the Wallabies, uh, which, which I don't think anybody was expecting. I mean, I. What I mean, this is a cell podcast. This isn't a Scottish rugby podcast. What do you think the value of McGuigan's performance on Saturday means for Sale? Oh, it's just nice to have a player who's at the sort of top international table and getting talked about. And I think it will um, hopefully sort of enhance the club's image quite a lot. I mean, this is really harsh because what we you know what we should be saying. So this is a sale podcast, which is why I've said that. But let be. Absolutely clear. First and foremost, absolutely delighted with Byron McGuigan, who I oh, think absolutely. has absolutely justified his inclusion in the Scotland squad. Probably should have been starting. Um, and, you know, delivered the performance that he's been delivering for sale all season. So, awesome. Really happy for him. Um, but, you know, it, it's good to have the club talked about in those kind of, you know, on the BBC. It's just, it's a real profile raiser for the club. Um, but also... You know, just really good find McGuigan to, and he's he's just done what he's done is translated his club form into international form, and he hasn't looked like he's dropped off at all. He's he's looked, he's done what he's done for Sale, which is somehow managed to kick the ball um, like he's got it on a string. And uh, even if he did deceive Reese Hodge with the biggest shin of all shins um, for his first try, um, managed to rescue it brilliantly. So just. Um, just very, very happy for him, but also good to see a player who, you know, is exactly the kind of person you would want representing the club, representing the club on a big stage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. I don't really have anything to add. You know, <laughs> McGuigan obviously is a, um, has been a very important player for the last couple of seasons. He's very, very well liked off the pitch. Um, he, he does seem like someone who's very engaged with, with the club as a whole. Um, he and it's it's the littlest things. It's the fact that he interacts with fans so readily on Twitter, you know. And and you know, of all the players that you see are taking pictures with kids after the games, it's McGuigan always seems to be there. And you know, it, from from you know, obviously we don't know him personally, but I think I think it's fair to say it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Um, and it's really impressive to see. But yeah, no, I, I I think in terms of raising the club's profile, I think you know McGuigan. Tom Curry winning the man of the match against the Barbarians. It's just, it's so nice to see after a few years in the wilderness, Sale having players uh, performing on the biggest stage and not only not only being part of the squad and having, you know, Sale Sharks on the team sheet, you know, being talked about, you know, so, you know, so frequently it's it's always Byron McGuigan, nets his sec- Byron McGuigan and Sale Sharks nets his second yeah. try. Tom Curry, you know, 19-year-old prodigy currently at Sale Sharks you know wins man of the match and it's it's so important for the club and I think you know we talk on the field off the field quite a lot and I think I remember a few years ago when Sale were just desperate for any international and mm. you know this isn't Saracens this isn't Leicester or Northampton or anyone like that but at the end of the day you're starting to see TJ Ioani with Samoa AJ McGinty with the USA Alexandru Tarossi was way with Romania um, you're just starting to see these these names sort of crop up in the international sphere a little bit more, and I'm not saying Sale are going to get a load of Romanian fans because they've got you know Taros in their squad uh, any more than Saracens will because they've you know they've got one or two, but it is just so encouraging to think that Sale with these players with these representatives who are being shown on the biggest stage are starting to inch towards that sort of global recognition because if you're an Australian 
and you're watching the Aussies get beat by Scotland on Saturday, you know, you recognise that Byron McGuigan and that he plays for sale. Mm. And it's the same if you're watching American rugby and you're seeing that the, the number 10 who's kicking all the, the penalties plays for sale. And I think it's just really, really nice to see um, that on BBC Sport, which is a platform sale will never get on because obviously the rights are owned by BT. That, that, BBC Sport is by far the biggest platform in, 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 in the country in terms of sport. And to have a sale Sharks player you know, being interviewed after the match because he's just scored two tries and led the line in a hammering of, of, of Australia in a famous victory for Scotland is, is amazing for the club. And, and fair play to Sale as well on Twitter and on Facebook and everything else afterwards. They've, you know, they've not shied away from it, even though it's got, in theory, um, not got any of the club's branding or the sponsor's branding on it or anything like that. You know, they're, they're, they're tweeting pictures and, and posting videos, you know, from BT Sport about McGuigan's performances. And it's, you know, they've really embraced it. And it's really encouraging to see uh, that Sal now have such a, a such a uh, accomplished international player to uh, um, to shout and celebrate. I, I think, yeah, I think it's something that we've seen since new owners have come in as well. The club's support for their players, um, both current and former, has been... A bit of a change from you know a couple of seasons ago, when maybe these sort of things we didn't really get that from the club, and I think it has sort of coincided with Simon Orange and Jed Mason coming in, and it's just sort of a culture change, isn't it? But it's really nice to see, and we're we're doing the you want the club to to be talked about in a positive light, and with you know as trivial as it seems, those are the kind of things that make a difference. And the other thing, while we're on that, um, I've sort of made my own segue into a point here, but. Um, the Sharky before the game um, putting on the England Samoa game doing three, three pies, two pound pints um, was actually really really good I went down early and it was just a really nice atmosphere in there, really good thing for the club to do because I don't think, you know, how much does it cost the club to give away a free pie to a, you know the few hundred supporters who turn up before three o'clock or three thirty and sell a pint for two quid instead of three seventy it's, it's not a massive cost to the club but it just creates a real positive image of the club and I took a, a Newcastle Falcons fan who really enjoyed it and I think there have been times in the past where I've taken people who've never been to sale before and we've sat in traffic to get there We've on Friday night because we've had to come straight from work we've then got there, we've watched rubbish rugby and the you know the stadium experience has been average at best and all of those things were very different so we may have not got the weather for running exciting rugby on Saturday but the one thing it did do was mean people can get there earlier People can really soak up the atmosphere. And it's creating that thing that um, I think Simon Orange talked about at the Fans Forum, which um, we haven't really talked about because the transcript wasn't out last week, but creating that sort of festival atmosphere around the ground on a match day, which is really nice to see and makes you want to go to more of the games, I think. Absolutely. I think the biggest problem Sale have in the last few years is that you know, you drive out to the stadium, you go and watch rugby for 80 minutes and you go home. There's, there's, there's nothing to do before the game, there's nothing to do during the game, there's nothing to do after the game, really. Other than wait half an hour for the car park to reopen. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've been a big big fan of Saturday, or, or just moving the kickoffs, um, you know, regardless, um, for a good couple of years now. But I just think Saturday afternoon with City and United in the same city isn't always going to be, you know, appropriate. But on Saturdays like the one we've just had, it just means you can do so much more having the game on a Saturday afternoon rather compared to a Friday night. Because if you're playing on a Friday night, you can't have punters come in to watch England tomorrow before because there's no game on. 
And then no one's going to get there. No one's going to leave work at three o'clock so they can get to the AJ Bell at five o'clock so they can have a few beers three hours before kickoff. Yeah. The same thing with Sat. And, and, and I don't know about you, but by the time the game's finished at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, even if I wanted to stay for a pint, yeah. What, what what's the point? You know, I'd I'd stay for for one more and then and then go home and it's then I'm getting back at you know past midnight and on Saturday night you know you finish the game at seven eight o'clock. There is a little bit more time after the game to stay and have a few beers and chat to chat to the, your fellow fans about the game. There's a few hours in the afternoon beforehand to go and have a couple of beers and chat to your friends about the game. And I think just moving moving to Saturdays, you know, the weather wasn't great. Um, it was still very dark. The traffic was. Uh, the, the roadworks and stuff are better, but obviously there's still no Metrolink and there's still no um, uh, bridge to go over the um, to go over the motorway. That all stuff's coming and it is going to take time. But at least they'll have been proactive in moving kickoffs to a Saturday, and then, which was the first step, in my opinion. Yeah, move it to Saturday. Feel- build if you want to build a festival atmosphere, give yourself the most amount of time. Um, to do it and you know work within the constraints you have you, you know you can't ask everyone to get there super quick because it, it's difficult for a lot of people so the best thing to do is give yourself more time you know to, to, to put on the festival atmosphere that, that the club have been talking about yeah and I think the overarching feeling I got from that was it was a decision made in the interest of the supporters rather than the club which is one of the first times that's happened that, that I've felt maybe not the first time that's happened that's harsh on the club First time that I've really felt that at sort of a supporter level for, you know, quite a long time. I was impressed. I've gone back and read the transcript of the fans forum. I was so impressed by the transparency we were seeing because, I mean, Simon Mason and, uh, uh, sorry, Simon Mason, Simon Orange, Jed Mason, it sounds like some sort of like Bradgelina sort of combination, <laughs> doesn't it? You know, uh, Steve Diamond, Simon Orange, Jed Mason, etc. They, they said at the fans forum, look, we've moved kickoff to Saturday. It isn't in the the uh, the best interest of the club because in in terms of corporate relations it isn't yep. going to suit corporate but it is going to suit your Joe blog uh, standing or sitting in the terraces and not only do I applaud the club for putting the interests of the many before the few I admire the transparency because for a long yeah. time so why why sale playing on on Friday nights oh it's a, it was a fan survey we sent out that said the majority wanted Friday nights and it, and it was bullshit you know <laughs> for all intents and purposes and everyone knew that because you know I knew a couple of hundred sale fans and about twenty of them got the, this this magical survey that was that was used to sort of prop up this yeah. this, this very uh, very flimsy argument that apparently the fans wanted Friday night and it. it and it was a shame that Sale felt they had to resort to that. I understand why they did, but that was for the corporate interest, and that's fine. I understand how the business um, behind a rugby club works, but now to see the owners of the club saying, "You know what? We'll forego the extra pennies we get from corporate if it means making a better atmosphere for all five thousand, six thousand fans, as opposed to the, the two, three hundred corporate fans they get on a you know on a weekly basis." That that's amazing, and not something we've seen for for fifteen years. You know, the, the, for, for the first time, I genuinely feel like Sale, as a it, the the club of Sale Sharks is expanding. It's no longer just about the team and a few bits around it. You know, a, a few sponsors. This is a genuine drive to make Sale Sharks a proper rugby club again, uh, and and sort of regain a bit of the character and, and soul that it lost uh, that it's lost in the last couple of years. And and I, you know, I can't I can't applaud the club uh, and the powers that be enough enough for that. Absolutely. 
What a positive, what a positive statement from us about the club. This is very odd. I know, I know. It, it, it feels strange. Have we got anything to moan about? Um, well, we can probably have a pessimistic view of the fact that we've got Worcester next week, and it's a massive game. Yes, Alex, this game is still massive. You know, you look at the table, you look at how we're positioned, and here's a quick reminder: Sale are tenth uh, on 19 points, Worcester on a very rich vein of form, uh, and now uh, are still eleventh but they're closing the gap. They're on 13 points. All of a sudden, it look, uh, the sort of bottom three places are looking very, very different. And a couple of weeks ago, when Sale and Worcester weren't picking up wins, it was still going to be a very important game. And now that both teams have started to pick up wins, it's still a very important game. And perhaps with London Irish as a buffer, a loss against Worcester on Friday isn't the end of the world. But are you... Are you thinking the same thing as me in that this is an absolute must-win game for Sale? Um, I don't think it's quite... It's not quite the depths we've had to plumb before in terms of must-win. I swear, uh, God, I swear we... Sorry, every time I've asked you, is this a must-win <laughs> game? You said, no, no, it's not going to find our season. No, but, but, but it's away at Worcester. If it was at home to Worcester, I'd say must-win. Um, but, but it's away. And I think we have to prepare ourselves for the fact that the attitude of the club is make AJ Bell a fortress. Don't necessarily go and target every away game. But Worcester away, Worcester 11th out of 12, Worcester one of the weaker teams in the league. Surely this is one of the few games that we have to be targeting. I understand not expecting a win at Sandy Park, but surely if, if Sales mantra is you know, nick a few away wins and win the vast majority of the games at home. Surely this is one of the away games we have to win. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just don't think the club have got the same... It's it's still early-ish in the season. It's not bottom end of the season. I think Worcester's form has A, made it more of a must-win and B, more difficult to win, which is um, distressing, really. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's as close to a must-win as you're going to get without me saying it's a must win. Um, but I I can see us losing it and I can see everyone having an absolute meltdown and I think we'll be okay if we lose this. I think we need some realism about the clubs. We, you know, we win at home. That's that sales thing, that's diamonds thing. You come up north and you can't handle it because we win at home and we will continue to push that. Um, so, on the other hand, if you're asking me, if I was in charge of sale, I'd be saying to these boys, "This is do everything you can to win this game because this puts us on such a much... It made the rest of your season more enjoyable. puts us on a more comfortable set and it does allow, it'll allow us to play a better brand of rugby and the knowledge that we are. We've got a much bigger buffer between us and the bottom two. Um, so if you want to see attractive running rugby, next week is a must win, but I worry that we don't maybe have the the nous, the experience, the the grit that we necessarily need to go and do it, and I also worry that Worcester are playing well. So, yeah, it's it's as close to a must win. I'll say it again: close to a must win as you're going to get without me saying it's a must win. So you clearly think it's a must win. Well, two things. I like how you managed to preempt me asking you, as I do every week, what you would do if you were Steve Diamond because <laughs> yes, yeah. you got that out of the way early doors. And for the second thing, for those of you who aren't re- listening to this podcast with, with uh, the Viva Premiership table to hand, um, I just want to point out, Sailor 10th, 19 points. 
Newcastle are ninth, 20 points. Harlequins, eighth, 20 points. Northampton, seventh, 21 points. Wasps, sixth, 24 points. I want to... I think this is a must-win game for a lot of reasons. Not just because this is one of the few away games we can reasonably expect to win over the course of the season. But my feeling with Sale is... We still don't know how good this team can be. Maybe it is still a top six team. I, I, I don't know. It's probably not bad enough to lose, uh, to be relegated. But losing to Worcester makes the latter a lot more realistic. However, a win against Worcester could be huge for Sale's season because if, if the results go the right way, Sale, in theory, could jump up as high as seventh with, with a win. If Northampton, Quinns and, and Newcastle all lose, Sale, Sale could go from... You know, starting to slip down towards the bottom of the table and lose track with the sort of push for the top six, they could go from that to being within, you know, a point or two from from Wasp in the sixth sixth position. And we said before the season that top six has to be the goal. We'll, we'll accept the lower mid table finish, but you want to be seeing some improvement from last season's tenth place finish. This is an absolutely huge game in the course of the season because a loss basically condemns Sale to that lower lower mid table. You know, with eighth being perhaps the highest they could finish. I mean, there's a, a long way to go in the season yet, but I'm just speaking sort of very generally. But a win would put us right back into that mix for that last top six place. And I just think this is not an opportunity you can afford to you can afford to pass up. Sale have had can't miss opportunities uh, earlier in the season, and they've missed them. They, they shouldn't have lost at home to Exeter. They shouldn't have lost to Newcastle. We win those two games. We're in the we're in the race for the top four, and it's a completely different season. And I know that I understand how close, um, how close the Premiership is, and how especially that cluster between sort of sixth and tenth is. But I think Sale have had a few opportunities to really make a statement and begin their sort of push for the rest of the season. And every time they've fall started, and now is a huge opportunity. You can uh, build a ten point cushion between yourselves and Worcester in eleventh. And you start to push yourself back into that uh, back into the mix of the top six, and I don't know what the result's going to be, but I think this is this might be one of the more disheartening losses we've had all season because this is even after everything that's happened to start the season, this is still a chance for Sale to kick start the season, especially coming off a hard fought win against Northampton. It's now time for Sale uh, to back up that performance against Northampton, grind out another win at, at Worcester if needs be, and, and make sure we're looking upwards for the rest of the season rather than having to worry about slipping down to 11th uh, in two weeks' time if, 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 results, uh, if results don't go our way. And another thing on that, if you look at the teams around us and their fixtures, Friday night, Northampton at home to Newcastle, which will be an interesting game. My theory would be that Northampton, with their internationals back, a bit of a response from They were pretty gutted about um, the result on Saturday. So I think... You know, Newcastle pulled out some big performances this season, but they just seem to have lost a bit of that form. So I think you might see Northampton win. Um, I mean, two things happen there. If we if we win, so let's talk about why we need to win the game. If we win, we either drag Newcastle back down into this relegation fight with us, or we go above Northampton, both of which are pretty positive things. Quinns are at home to Sarries. That's going to be a struggle, especially after Sarries lost at home to Exeter this weekend and they get um, all their internationals back as well and they get all their internationals back and uh, Wasps are at home to Leicester so that'll be a big game we're probably, we're, we've still got to, we've got to be realistic, we're a way off Wasps both in terms of you know in in virtually every nature but they are gettable, they're only 
four point, uh, are they five points ahead of us at the moment? I think they're on 24 and we're on 19. Wasps are on 24, um, we're on 19, so yeah. we're five points behind Wasps. And then Irish go away to Gloucester. Gloucester at home are a pretty, pretty good force, really. Um, and then the week, the fixtures after, sorry, after the European weeks, was to play London Irish. So there is a real chance, I think, for us to. We've got we've got this game and then two weeks off, um, home and away to Cardiff or away and home to Cardiff. Can't remember which way around. But if we can get a win on Friday, we're just sitting so much more comfortably over. Christmas period, despite regardless of what happens at home to Bath, um, and, and Bath is probably another winnable game. I'm coming up to the AJ Bell in mid mid December, but you know, looking to next next week, if we win it, it'll just put everyone at ease. I think so, and I include the players in that because we've got players who are good front foot confidence players. Give them a buffer, and they can start, you know, really really play the sort of rugby that we want to see from them, rather than have to do what we did against Northampton and grind out a win because it was necessary. That 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 is a really good point actually and, and not something I'd, I'd I'd previously considered this idea that we have a team full of ambitious attacking players that will suit playing with a bit of confidence and a bit of a buffer. There's you know yeah. because as I was saying before you know the clerk kicking an up and under into the Northampton 22 it's high risk it's high reward it isn't always going to work but you want your players to feel confident enough to do that. Yep. But, and that isn't something you can do if you've got your, you know, one eye over your shoulder looking at Worcester catching up, you know, uh, catching up with you game by game. And I think, in, in a way for Sale, in the sort of second half of the season, we'd almost be blessed if we were sort of stuck in that seventh or eighth position where we have nothing to lose. Could you imagine the, the, the sort of calibre of rugby we'd start to play? And the yeah. lead-on effect that would have for the following season, because you'd use the second half of the season as a testing ground to get you to close your economies, your yards, everyone else on the same page, and produce this sort of scintillating, freewheeling rugby. And then that builds team cohesion and chemistry, which you can then take into the next season, where in theory you won't have as slow a start as you ha- uh, as, as as we've seen this season. So this idea that we can just make make the rest of our season so much more comfortable um, by beating Worcester on on. Friday night is is a really interesting idea and one one I definitely subscribe to, and that's why it's must win, Alex. <laughs> I've almost argued against myself. Yeah, I, I just I just think yeah everybody can rest so much easier and you can start to build. I mean, look, there's still over half the season left. And I don't want to be talking about building for next season, but you almost get a sense that if if you lose this, you you know all it takes is another loss and a London Irish win, and all of a sudden it, it's getting very crowded at the bottom. But if you beat Worcester and you start to get a bit of separation, it does just make things so much more comfortable. And like you said, it doesn't mean we're having to scratch and claw for every single result, which is which definitely is uh, antithetical to the sort of calibre uh, and types of players that we have who who probably, you know, they like having the uh, the, the leash lengthened a little bit and, and allowed the, the sort of freedom to sort of play their games. Would you make any changes from, from the Northampton team? I would probably like to see AJ McGinty back involved I don't think we will but I'd like to see him back involved maybe not starting because I think Jose O'Connor did have a good game as we said so maybe bringing him onto the bench closer uh, finisher finisher yeah um, oh, it's a good thing about our squad growing a bit we have sort of got a bit more of a strength in depth on the bench I don't think I'd change anything in the forwards to be perfectly honest um, and in the backs no I'd probably unless it is like a horrendous horrendous night where 
you know, it's just absolutely chucking it down, at which point I think you've got to consider starting Wilcliffe. Unless it's that, I wouldn't change anything from the starting team. Um, again, the only probably area where you maybe consider it is actually thinking about it. Well, my, my original one was centre. Do you bring in Van Rensburg or do you keep Jennings? Probably keep Jennings, but I don't know. I think Van Rensburg maybe could against Worcester could really really bring something different and they you know if they're wanting to prep for this game us bringing in Van Rensburg throws out a lot of their plans um, yeah. but also Byron McGuigan's obviously back so where do you fit him in with Denny and Marlon Yard I don't know I mean if we're going to we're going to bring what's probably going to happen is um, we've got two pretty big egos and players who played well last week in Denny and Marlon Yard so Byron McGuigan man of the match against Australia is going to come in on the bench um, so yeah uh, maybe maybe Will Addison at fullback might might be you know Haley had a fine game but he's still not lighting up the world like he did so I don't know uh, that's a very long way of saying probably not <laughs> there's a few changes you can consider making I'd probably bring in Byron McGuigan but I don't know where so no probably not would you have you got any players you'd like to see back in? To Russ, maybe. Yes. I don't. I mean, I, 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 I think Will Gatron actually. You know, I was, I was a bit harsh on him last week. I think he's he had a very fine game against Northampton. He, he wasn't Ellis Genge like, but you know, he did. Um, he, you know, he did 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 his job. Um, yeah, I, I. It's really hard to say with that front row because you know Harrison's not going anywhere, Weber's not going anywhere. I don't. I, I still don't know anything about. The other two props we have that are, uh, you know, a tight head. We know what Alika offers you, and I like Alika as a bench player, but I, mm. I still don't know enough about Taros and John's individual games to make a decision on who's who's better in which conditions. But maybe, maybe having the option to rotate there would be be useful. Um, I mean, we're stuck with Evans and Ostrakov in the nicest way possible. There's nothing you can do there. Both um, had pretty good games against Northampton, though, so no yeah, massive yeah. issues that we've had in the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, John Ross, I mean that back row picks itself. Yeah, um, I agree about the weather. Um, with I think you've got to play De Clerk, but obviously, especially because he's a decent kicking option. But if the weather's terrible, then maybe have Cliff. Um, although that would be a very gutsy call. So kudos to Paul Deacon if he makes it for the second time. Um, and yeah, now we've got that embarrassment of riches in the back line. It's really hard to juggle because last week we had. Van Rensburg and Addison on the bench, and we've now got McGuigan coming back in and and McGinty, and I think you I think you have to have McGinty. You have to have another ten, surely. Yes, yeah. we've got to. I can see the sort of coaching staff, the sort of eyes light up with the idea about having Van Rensburg and Addison and McGuigan and Yard and Solomon are all playing together. I understand that, but I I don't trust Will Cliff. To win, you know, to, to kick, you know, to kick twelve points in the last twenty five minutes and win us the game. I don't trust. Do you Pat trust to, Pat to do it? I don't trust oh, Pat Pat to do it. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't yeah. trust. I don't trust James O'Connor to kick those those kicks because that's clearly not something he's 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 sort of been brought in to do. I, I think you know you look at the game. It's a Friday night. It's a it's a it's a must win game no matter what you say, Alex. You know you, you <laughs> have to you have to have an actual ten because McGinty is the only out and out fly half that, that we have and I think because of that even even if it's just even if you just bring him on for, for Mark Jennings and put O'Connor to 12 or you you just have him anywhere so he, you've got a proper kick taker because there's no way in hell if it's if it's a one on one 
there's no way I'm taking Will Cliff over AJ McGinty. Get him onto the bench. But then obviously that pushes Van Rensburg or Addison off. Yep. If it pushes Addison off, although obviously he was uh, he was a late withdrawal anyway, so he might still be injured. But if Addison goes off, is he is it worth having Addison at fifteen and not having Haley in the twenty three? The, 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 there's a lot of there's a lot good of problems to there. have there, mate. Good Abs- problems to have. Absolutely, I probably wouldn't keep. I'd probably keep Jennings at 12 because I think Van Rensburg's coming back from a, that very nasty uh, injury he had that sort of ruled him out for all of last season. So you, you have to wonder where his match fitness is. That yeah. being said, he did, did have a decent 20 minutes when he came on last week. So I think he... We've only got him for three months as well. We might as well use him. I think he's yeah. on the bench. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've only got him for three months to chuck him in. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. So, someone's got to miss out because I think in a perfect world, maybe we should go with 4-4 four, four bench split and have... Cliff, yeah. McGinty, Van Rensburg. Yeah. Because I think at the end of the day, on the on the balance of our forwards and backs, we have we have so many very talented backline players that why not sacrifice some yeah. of the forwards? It doesn't matter. George Knott's gonna get not gonna get on anyway. You know, Dan's yeah, yeah, we only use three of our forwards on the bench. Let's have a three five. Let's, yeah, get, exactly. let's make it proper. Yeah, exactly. And that's if we're not going to use James Flynn, if we're not going to use George Knott, and I know you have to have a bench, a proper replacement, but if you're not going to use um, your back row replacement. If you're not going to use George, not well, why, why not put Van Rensburg on? In worst case scenario, I mean, put Van Rensburg put Van in, the, on in the back lot. row. Probably be great. Yeah. You, heard it, you heard it here first on the Shark Tank. We're going for the 3 5 bench split. Brilliant. But, well, if Sale do adopt that tactic and it, and it works to great effect, that's another one we can claim, um, we can claim for. Exactly. So, right. your predictions then. Oh, I was just about to see the same thing. Win game of the season. I'm gonna go. It was thirty four. With... It's like 34-34 last time uh, last year, wasn't it? I think McGinty kicked about twenty odd points, and I wrote a piece saying <laughs> the age of AJ McGinty has begun, and uh, how, how, <laughs> how how wrong I was with uh, with everything that happened in the, or, or didn't happen uh, in the second half of the season. Go on. What, what, what's your prediction? I'm gonna say sale twenty. Eight Worcester twenty six. Sale, are you writing these down? I am writing these down. I'm thinking Sale twenty eight, Worcester twenty four. I think Sale have enough to win. <laughs> I think it's going to, but I think it's going to be close. And I think Worcester are definitely going to get something out of it because, as good as Sale are starting to get, they still can't deny. They can't kill games off well enough to to stop teams like Northampton getting a losing bonus point. So I think it's going to be close. I think this is definitely one of the, the, the away games we can win. Um, I, I, we should have enough. You, you know, you look at the teams on paper, and I know the game isn't played on paper, but you look at the teams on paper, Sell have enough to win this game, and they yeah. really should. They really should. Absolutely. Right. Obviously, we they won't now, but nice that we've put it in, in podcast form that on paper we should win this game. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, this is this is all before De Klerk gets charged down four times in the first fifteen minutes, and we uh, we lose forty nil. So let's let's stay positive. Yeah. So next week's podcast will either be very very happy or incredibly depressed. Either yeah. way, it'll be good listening. Exactly, especially because next week we should hopefully have James back from his travel, so we'll finally have all three of us uh, back together again, and we'll uh, we'll we'll do a quiz or something, and uh, uh, we'll. Uh, We'll spice it up after a couple of weeks of just me and Alex going back and forward about uh, uh, FAFTA clerks' strengths and weaknesses and a lot of other things that we, we agree on. Indeed. 
I think James, James is definitely the, the, the divisive influence on this podcast. Everything seems to go <laughs> so much smoother when it's just when it's just you and I. I know. Bring back a bit of uh, bit of edge into it. Exactly. Exactly. Well. With that, we'll say goodbye for the week. We want to say a big thank you for everyone who continues to tune into this nonsense week in, week out. Uh, we appreciate the third three-word reviews. We appreciate the Facebook likes, the, the, the retweets, everything you guys do. Um, uh, all the positive comments. Because we, we, we do have a lot of them. We should, we should start like reading them out because it seems a waste just for us to sort of read them <laughs> and, then not, um, and then not act on them. But yeah, we know we're... We're really glad that everyone seems to be uh, enjoying listening to this podcast as much as we do recording it. So, Alex, big thank you for joining me once again, and I'll chat to you next week. Thank you, mate. Thanks again to Ben and Opta. Thanks to everyone for listening.